Now, we've been speaking about the good fight over the past few weeks, and um, for those that are jumping into it with us, the good fight um, is, a, is something that we're instructed to do, and we're to do that on a regular basis. And part of the good fight is having a prayer life. And a few weeks ago, we challenged the body to memorize a prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. It's in Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And so we've been, re- we've been repeating that prayer uh, every service just to kind of help us get that in our hearts and minds. So I want to do it again this morning. And there's a lot of words here, but as you um, pray this prayer on a regular basis, these words will make sense to you more and more. Now, also, there is a page, a, a paper that you could have picked up when you walked in as well. This has the prayer that we're going to pray here in the paper, along with the scriptures that we're going to use today. And I would also invite you to pick this up when you come in in the morning, um, because you can use it for a couple of things. Number one, you can pre-look up passages. We encourage you to bring your Bible. Uh, we preach fast. It's my fault. I understand that. And so we don't give you time to look up every scripture. Um, but yet I encourage you to look up Scripture. I encourage you to um, measure what I say against Scripture. I encourage you to study it for yourself because I don't want to be uh, in any way able to mislead you in any way, shape, or form. So I want you to be um, holding me accountable to the Scriptures. So that's why we pass these out. You can also take notes on this. It's got a blank page in the back. You can take notes. You can mark it up. So I would encourage you to, uh, to do this. But let's just take a minute right now, and let's just pray this prayer. Because uh, as we pray this, this is helping us to learn what it is to fight the good fight. So you can either close your eyes or you can read it off the page with me or read it off the screen. But what we do is we ask the Father for him to continually fill me with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen me with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For you have delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I, I, I promise you that if you will read this on a regular basis and let this passage minister to you at different times in your life, it will, it will be alive to you. I, I pray it on a regular basis, and every time I pray it, the Lord just dumps on me some new things, and he just impresses on me, and he helps me in some new areas. So let's jump into the fight here. What are we talking about between the good fight and the bad fight? There is a difference, right? First of all, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul instructs his spiritual son, Timothy, to fight the good fight. All right, read that with me. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight the fight, to fight the the good fight. Now, we said before, if there is a good fight, there's also a bad fight, right? But all fights, I will say, are ugly and they're not pretty. Fights, by definition, are not a pretty thing. Has, any ever been, has anybody ever been in a fight? I mean, a fight that you could have died in. Let me tell you a story that happened to me. 
And I will tell you, I was not a trained person. And so the fight that I was in was not pretty. Uh, a few years ago, back oh, a number of years ago, when Chris and I were first married, actually. Um, yeah, about two years married. We were living in Wisconsin, came home for, this was early in the spring before a lot of the people filled the cottages up down where her parents lived down on Matthews Lane down here on Lake Charlevoix. So we were here early. Her sister Jody uh, was a senior in high school, I believe, at the time, and she was up here alone at the time. So Jody was staying at the cottage, and Chris and I came up for the weekend, and we got up there late one night about 11 o'clock. And we had summer. Or she was just a baby at the time. So it's about 11 o'clock. It's a dark, uh, misty, rainy spring night. Cold. The water was just, ice was just coming off the lake. And um, so we're in a cottage, and uh, uh, Jody is taking a shower. I walk out. I have to go out to get some diapers out of the car that I left in our car for summer. And I walk out of the cottage, and it's a dark night. It's really dark. No moon. It's really dark. And I walk out of the cottage, and as I'm walking out, I see some movement. You have the corner of your eye. You can see things out of the corner of your eye better. And I see some movement to the right, which has happened to be the window where Jody was taking a shower. All right? And so I saw some movement. And when I looked, there was a guy there. He was a peeping Tom. Okay? So I didn't know who it was. I just naturally reacted. I hollered at him, and he took off and ran around the cottage this way, and I took her off and ran around the cottage this way, and I had no idea what I was doing. But I was chasing. I thought it was just a kid, so I was just going to scare him. Okay? Well, instincts kick in, I guess, and he was running across this way, and I ran across this way, and I tackled him. And when I tackled him, I realized he didn't have any pants on. So this is serious stuff now, okay? So I tackle him in the sand. It's dark. I can't see him. He, and when I tackle him, I realize he's bigger than I am. He's probably like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, pretty big guy. He's got boots on. I remember that. A shirt on, no pants. Weird, okay? So now I got this guy, and I'm thinking, now what am I going to do? So now we start a fight. And this was a fight, this is one where I didn't want to, I mean, we're trying to slug each other and it's dark and I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, this wasn't like, you know, boom, 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 you know, like that. You know, on TV, they look so organized. They look so good. It was not good and it was not organized. And all I knew was I didn't want to get hit because if I got hit, I didn't know what was going to happen. So we're just kind of tussling around and, and um, now we're in the sand down by the water and um, I see some sand on the ground and, or something. I think it's a stick. So I go to reach to pick it up, and all it was is dark, dirty sand. And so I have sand in my hand. I thought I was going to hit him with a stick. So I just threw the sand in his face. And so finally I grab him, I get him, and I get him on his back. And by now we're in Lake Charlevoix. We're rolling in the water. And so I think, okay, I've got him on water. I'm going to drown him. Seriously. So I got his head underwater, and I'm going to drown him. And I, I got it, you know, and I'm holding him under. Next thing you know, he flips me over, and my head's underwater, and he's going to drown me. And so now, I mean, this, is, this felt like an hour, okay? It might have been a minute. I'm exhausted. I mean, I'm literally exhausted. I throw him off, I get him off me, and I stand up in the water, and I know this is not going to go anywhere because this is not, this is not a fight that I'm going to win. And so I just say, okay, I know who you are. Just get out of here. And so he took off running. Oh, I forgot to tell you that when we were squaring up, he was growling like a dog. I'm serious. I mean, it was the scariest, most, most eerie sound I've ever heard. It was just like a bear. Uh, so after he goes off, 
And I go back to the cottage, and I'm exhausted. My shirt is torn. I got sand all over my face. I'm soaking wet because I've been in the water. And it was cold water because ice had just coming off, but I didn't feel the cold of the water. I just felt the adrenaline was just pumping through me. I, I go to the, back into the house, and Chris and Jody are scared to death because they thought, what were you doing out there? Were you wrestling a bear? I mean, they had no idea what was going on. I said, no. I, and, uh, so we called the cops and everything. And I got to tell you, um, long story, but I'll just tell you, the guy who it was, we found out who it was eventually, and he was a convicted felon, had been in prison for rape, and he was out on parole. So it was a real deal. And so I will tell you, it was not pretty. It was not a pretty fight, and I thought I was going to die. So when you think you're going to die, you fight like a madman, and you have all kinds of stuff to go with it. Now, that's a fight. That's a fight. That's kind of what I'm talking about here when we talk about fighting the good fight with the devil. Now, I described a fight here that wasn't well choreographed, but it was a real fight today. And so I want to talk to you today about the good fight as a real fight. It's not something that we make up. It's not something that we dream about. It's not something that we can imagine away. No, as a Christian, we are in a real fight. And we need to know who we're fighting against. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 11. It says, Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are in a fight, but I'm not fighting people. You're not fighting people. We're fighting an evil spirit. We're fighting an evil presence. We're fighting something that is demonic, that is from the pit of hell, that at one time was in the gates of heaven but was cast out because of pride. And there's a whole story about how Lucifer was cast out of heaven and now he becomes Satan. But I'm going to tell you, he is a real enemy. It is easy for us to see the adversary as something that's not real. It's easy for us to see the adversary as a cartoon character or something that, that isn't really too serious about destroying us. But let me tell you, the enemy of your soul is very serious about devouring you. Larry, would you put up that PowerPoint? Our enemy, I just want to show you a couple pictures here. Our enemy, perceived in reality. This is what he wants you to think he is. True? This is what he wants. He wants you to think he's a little guy in a little red costume with a little pitchfork with a stupid little grin on his face and in many ways, that's what our culture makes Satan to be. Is Abel in here? Okay, good. If he was, I was going to have to close his eyes. Because this is who we're fighting against. This is what Satan looks like. He is not a pretty little adversary. He is evil, and he's angry, and he's out to destroy you. First Peter 5, 8, be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion, looking for someone to, some victim to tear apart. This is who we're fighting against, right? Okay, Larry. I just want you to know 
who our enemy is. Last week we spoke, we spoke about Paul encouraging Timothy, as I've already did, said this morning, to, to fight the good fight. So I want to I continue to look at Paul's life so that we can understand from Paul's perspective what the good fight's all about, right? Now, Paul's ministry spanned about 32 years. Paul was uh, converted around A.D. 36, and he died around A.D. 68. So he had about 32 years of ministry. And in that 32 years, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. A lot of the epistles, a lot of the letters in the New Testament were, was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul had a very uh, productive and a very influential ministry. Paul was um, chosen by God to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and we talked about that last week. So Paul was a very influential man. So I got to imagine then that in Paul's life, because he was so powerful and so influential and, and used by God, that he must have had a really good life. He must have been treated like royalty. He probably traveled around first class. He probably had everything that he could have ever desired. He probably had the best food. He probably had the best clothing. People probably really, really treated him with honor and respect because of what he was doing for the Lord. He probably had, uh, had, had all kinds of people flocking to hear him. He probably was the most respected man in his age. Do you think so? I mean, that's what a guy like this should be, right? But let me tell you what Scripture says. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You can open your Bible. This is what Paul's life really was like. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 29, and then we'll skip to 32 in a minute. This is what Paul endured. Five different times the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was in the open sea all night and the whole the next day. I have traveled many weary miles and have been often in great danger from flooded rivers and from robbers and from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I have faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the deserts and in the stormy seas and from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the constant worry of how the churches are getting along. Who makes a mistake and I do not feel his sadness? Who falls into, who falls without my longing to help him? Who is spiritually hurt without my fury against the one who hurt him? And then skipping to verse 32. In Damascus, the governor under King Arteus kept guards at the city gates to catch me, but I was let down by rope and basket from a hole in the city wall, and so I got away. What popularity. <laughs> this was the life of the Apostle Paul. Did all the writing. He did everything he did. In fact, most of the letters he wrote, he wrote from prison. He was constantly being harangued and harassed. And when he was stoned, they thought he was dead. They stoned him to the point that he thought he was dead. So in, 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 in the best way, this is a definition of the good fight. And Paul, having the experience of going through this, was a person that had every right to encourage his spiritual son, Timothy, and us today to fight the good fight. He understands what a fight is. 
He understands what it is, what it's like to be persecuted. So for him to say it, it gives him the credibility to say it. So what does this mean for us today? Are we expected to fight the same kind of fight that Paul fought? Well, it really makes me think about my life. Somewhere we have been given the idea that living a Christian life was easy and cushy. And that if we really were a true believer, that everything in life would be at our disposal. That we would be totally prosperous and that we, we would be rich and we would be, we would be without need. If we were really a believer in Christ, we've been told that we would, never have, we would never have sickness, that we would never have pain, that we would never have problems. Somewhere we have been told that. And can I say that that's just not true? Can I say that if you're going to be a Christian, you are going to be in a fight, and it's going to be a good fight or a bad fight, and that's what we're talking about. What's the difference between a good fight and a bad fight? Now, let me say, first of all, that I'm not against having my needs met. (laughs) I don't want to suffer, and I'm not asking you to look for suffering in your life to try to make you look more spiritual. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that that we are to uh, look for ways to be miserable. Because in all honesty, as a Christian, we should be the most joyous people. We should be the people with the biggest smile on our face. Because we have the most hope to look forward to. Because I know that at the end of the day, we do win the battle. And we do win the fight. And it gives me joy. But I'm still in the fight. I'm still going through it. So what does that mean? What I'm challenged with, and therefore, because I'm challenged with it, I'm challenging you with it. That's just the way it goes. I'm sorry. But I'm challenged with us is, is, am I willing? Would I be willing to lay down my life like Paul laid down his life to prove my love to the Lord? Would I be willing to suffer for it? Thank the Lord I don't have to. But would I be willing to do it? You know, statistics say that there are around 400 people or so a day, 400 people a day around this world that are being martyred for their faith. 400 people a day die because of Jesus around this world. Now, here we are, northern Michigan. It's a beautiful sunny day. We're very warm. We're very comfortable. We're not persecuted. Thank the Lord we're not persecuted. Thank the Lord we don't have to go through that for our faith. But the question is, would I? And the question for you is, would you? And I wonder if we really would or not, because I will say that we're very tempted to complain if our services go past noon, let alone die for our faith. We're very tempted to complain that, oh, I mean, I have to go to church on Wednesday? We're very tempted to complain about all the things, let alone die for my faith. All right, I'm going to stop going there because I'm going to get myself in big trouble if I go down that rabbit trail much further. But I just want us to challenge ourselves. Am I willing? If I was asked by the Lord, would I be willing to die for him? Now, some say the Scriptures say we don't have to fight that kind of fight. For example, if you look in Matthew chapter 11, 
verse 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burdens I give you is light. Wow. Is the Bible contradicting itself here? Why does Paul have to suffer like this, but yet Jesus is saying, come to me and my burden is light and my yoke is easy? How do you think Paul felt about that? Paul knew Jesus said that. How do you think Paul felt about that when he was taking his, 90, his 39 lashes five times? Five, three times he was beaten with rods. And when you beat somebody with rods, what you, they do typically is they, they string you up by your feet. And they take a metal or not a metal or it could be wood or a bamboo or some really stiff rod and they beat your feet. I mean, beat them until your feet are bloody. Quite often breaking the feet. Quite often a person that was beaten with rods is crippled and they can't walk. He was beaten that way three times. He was stoned to, until he, they thought he was dead. Pretty brutal. So where was Paul? How do you think Paul dealt with that scripture? How do you deal with it? Well, let me give you some insights a little bit. Because I think that Paul understood the context and the understanding that God had in giving this passage because Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, they always see the big picture of life. They see the end from the beginning, right? So the Bible is not at all contradicting itself here, but what it's saying is that the big picture is that God will give us a easy, an easy yoke and a light burden, but it may not be in the time that we're expecting it. When he gives it to me, it'll be for eternity. And I will have all eternity bearing an easy yoke and a light burden rather than spending an eternity in hell that is being persecuted and punished and tormented forever. So let me ask you the question, when do you want... And how long do you want to have the light burden? Do you want to have it for a period of time on earth now and then suffer the consequences of hell later? Or do you want to have to fight the good fight now and then be able to have the peace for eternity and ever? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider, this is Paul speaking, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, re that will be revealed to us. He sees the fact that I'm going to suffer in this life, but it is not worth comparing to what God has in store for me when I persevere to the end. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul again speaking, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus also fought the good fight. Did you know that? Jesus also went through great persecution and great suffering for us. He understands as well what it means to fight the good fight. And so Paul's saying, I want to be like Christ. And I'll participate in the sufferings of Christ so that I can also participate in his resurrection. That's what we're talking about. I hope that helps you a little bit understand why we have to endure things in this life. I hope that gives you an appreciation for why good solid Christian people go through hard times in life. Is this making any sense? All right. Now let's bring this a little bit closer to home. 
so we can begin to apply what we're talking about when it comes for us to fight our good fight. Remember what we said at the beginning, that a fight is never pretty. It's always ugly. And the participants are going to walk out bloody, possibly, and potentially even scarred. And how are you looking in the fight? How am I looking in the fight? You see, when I was in that fight I described earlier, when I, when I got into the, to the cabin, to the cottage, to the safe place, I looked like I was in a fight. I mean, my shirt was torn up. My hair was all messed up. I had sand in my face. I was soaking wet. I was huffing and puffing like I, I mean, I was only 25, 24, 26 years old, something like that. And I was exhausted. After about a two or three minute fight, I was exhausted. See, it's obvious that I'd been in a fight. And I had to look to prove it. If I would have come in there like dressed like this, I mean looking dapper, don't I look dapper today? If I was looking if I was looking dapper like this, I, my wife would have said, What was all that racket out there? Because I sure don't look like you were in a fight. You know what I'm saying? There's an obvious look when a person's been in a fight, you know he's been in a fight. And we're gonna have to look that way to a degree. A little bit here. There has to be something obvious in us that we've been in a fight. And I, I wonder, I wonder today how many professing Christians in our society today, I wonder how many westernized professing Christians even understand that they're in a fight, let alone look like they're in a fight. I, I don't think that we understand the significance of what it means to fight the good fight. Because I think that we're kind of um, ban- bamboozled by that little devil in this little, little, little outfit we saw earlier, thinking, oh, there's no fight here. I, I'm your friend, really. Don't fight with me. Well, can I tell you that there are fights. And, and the difference between the good fight and the bad fight, let me just tell you the difference. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but let me just tell you the difference between the good fight and the bad fight is all determined by which side you're fighting with. Whose side are you on? Remember, if, if it takes a fight, we have to have contender A and a contender B. Contender A is God. Contender B is Satan. They're not equal, but they just have to be opposing, right? So now I am in the middle here, and I have to choose which side am I going to be on. Am I going to be on contender A's side to fight against contender B, or am I going to be on contender B's side to fight against contender A? It's the side that I pick determines if it's going to be a good fight or a bad fight. So I want to make sure that I'm, con- I'm choosing the right side. <laughs> and I would encourage you as well to be sure that you're choosing the right side. So I want to give you some, some indicators to let us know if we're in the good fight or in the bad fight. Are we, are we fighting for or against God? Are we lining up with God's word or are we lining up against God's word as we fight? Because you're going to be in a fight. You just have to choose if it's going to be the good one or the bad one, right? So here's some indicators. Just a few. There's many of them. I'm not going to get through all of them. But here's one of them. I'm not offended when a truth teller comes into my life. That would be a good fight. Or if I am offended when a truth teller comes into my life that I get offended, that would be a bad fight. When a truth teller comes into my life, I can either be offended by it or I can be unoffended by it. That will tell me what side of the fight I'm on. If I'm offended when somebody comes to me and tells me the truth about my life, 
If I'm angry at that person, if I don't believe that person, can I tell you that's probably a good indicator you're in a bad fight? Because you're lining up to fight against the truth. We all have areas in our life that need to be challenged. I'm included. No one walks this life without having to be challenged. And so I have to look at it. When I have a truth teller come into my life, because I have a few of them, and my biggest, my, my biggest one isn't here today. That's my wife. Yeah, she's down in Grand Rapids at a, one of our niece's showers, unfortunately. When we have a big family, there's all kinds of things we have to do, so that's why she's not here today. But she's a truth teller in my life. And she will tell me some things that I don't want to hear. And I could either be offended with her or I could humble myself and say, you know what, Chris? hate to say it, but maybe you're right. hate to say that. Come on, be honest. But there comes a time when I need to listen to the truth. You can tell if you're in a good fight or the bad fight by how you accept the constructive criticism that you need to hear. If you bristle against the person that is sharing the truth, if you, if you r- rise up against them, then you're probably, in that moment, not in the good fight. Let me share a little story with you again. Larry, would you throw the other PowerPoint up? This is an example of how you learn how to fight the good fight. All right, now, I've got to set the stage a little bit. Now, you probably can't read all this stuff, but I'm going to read the stuff. I'm going to tell the story to you. Baking of a soul is what I call this little story. It happened to me this past week. All right, let me tell you, let me set the stage. The story goes, Chris wants me to be more productive around the house. All right, I come home. I like to read. I read a lot of books. And uh, she does a lot of stuff around the house. And I, I, I'm glad she's not here this morning, actually, because she would be agreeing all the time. She'd be amening me to the point I wouldn't get through this. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, she cooks. She does laundry. She, you know, she cleans. She's very organized and something which I'm not really organized. And she does a great job. And so she was complaining the other day, why don't you help me more around the house? So my solution, okay, I'll help with cooking. Oh, no, don't. Hear me out here. All right? So the reality is I'm not very good at it, but I'm teachable. All right? So um, we, have, uh, we have tonight, we have candles and carols, and so there's cookies to be made. So I said, all right, I'll make the cookies. So I went and I got a recipe, and I was going to make some oatmeal cookies. That's how they turned out. <laughs> not real good, are they? Well, they tasted great, but they didn't look good, all right? So my wife now, being the kind of person that she is, she took this picture. She goes, I'm going to send it to Robin, which she did, all right? So she sent it to Robin. And Robin's response, she looks at it, and her observation is, you have the butter and flour ratio wrong. My reaction, how do you know? Seriously. How do, you, you're, how do you know? I was offended. Reality. Robin has experience and knowledge that I don't have. Robin has read recipes before, and she understands baking. Right? So she had, she had the right to say what she had to me. All right. Now, so what did I do? 
I listened to Robin. And I added some more flour. My wife was saying, throw it away. Start over. So I said, no, no, no. Rob was saying, add more flour. I'm going to add more flour. So I added more flour. I got the butter to flour ratio correct. All right? What was the result? A cookie that looked like a cookie was supposed to look. Right? Reality, still not perfect, but much better. Next time, here's the key, next time I won't make the same mistake. And I did. I made some more last night. And you're going to eat them tonight. <laughs> Everybody's going to eat one of my cookies. <laughs> but I, yeah, and you're going to like it. But the fact of the matter is, see, what happened was I was using a measuring cup, and I had the half cup measuring cup because I'd used it before to put the brown sugar and the white sugar in, and I forgot when I met the flour that I was to get the full cup. So I measured with half cups, not full cups. And so she was right. I didn't have the right flour. So I added some more flour, and it worked out. And here's the deal. I'm not going to make the same mistake again. So last night I made it, and I used the right measuring cup. Okay, so I got ahead of the story a little bit. All right, so this is what they look like after I added more flour. Look at the difference. See how nice they look? Yeah, they were awesome. All right, so now what's the application here? There's a spiritual application here. I may observe something in a person's life that isn't right, and it's very obvious. Robin observed that there was something wrong with my cookies, and it was very obvious to her that there was something wrong with my cookies. The reaction that you get when you observe in someone's life is, how do you know? Like I told her, how do you know? If I come up into your life and say there's something wrong, your reaction is going to be, well, how do you know? Reality, because I have experience, I have some biblical knowledge, and I have the Holy Spirit wisdom, and it's obvious that there's a sin problem in a life. And I share with them not to hurt them, but to help them become what God wants them to be, right? Robin wasn't sharing that reality of my flour and butter ratio to hurt me, even though they were laughing at me, <laughs> But that wasn't meant to hurt me. It was to help me, right? The baking process, read the recipe and follow it. It's designed to be successful. Spiritual perspective or process, read the Bible, pray, and apply it as it's written. Don't misread and don't take any shortcuts. We have a tendency to read the Bible and throw out what we don't like. That's like me reading a recipe and saying, oh, I don't like baking soda because it tastes terrible. It does. You ever had a spoonful of baking soda? It's terrible. It's good if you've got upset stomach, but it's terrible to taste. But yet I had to put in a teaspoon of baking soda. If I would have skipped that because I don't like it, my cookies wouldn't have turned out well. So in God's Word, if there is something in God's Word that I don't like, I'm tempted to skip it. Read over that. Let's get to the one I like. But when I do that, what's going to happen to my spiritual life? I'm not going to measure up. I'm not going to be pleasing to the Father. I'm not going to be a good cookie, as Tom would say. Good cracker. Reality. Listen to godly wisdom and learn from the truth teller. Learn from the truth teller because he has your best interest in heart. And then repent 
and make the corrections as necessary. Life's reality, you're going to make some mistakes along the way, yet God is in the restoration business. My wife was saying, throw the cookies dough away, start over. I said, no, I'm going, to restore, I'm, going to re- I'm going to restore this. I'm going to recover this. I'm going to redeem this mess. And that's exactly what God does. He won't throw you away. He'll work with you. He will give you opportunities to repent, and he'll give you opportunities to make corrections. Because why? Because he loves you. And because you're made in his image. And because he's invested in you. And he doesn't want you to lose the good fight. Final result. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And he will make you pleasing to him now and forevermore. And that's how we can read that scripture about his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Because he loves us so much that he's going to give us the things in life right now to give us that end result. That's the good cookie. Now it's time to enjoy your cookie. So tonight, come candles and carols and you'll get one of my cookies. Amen. I had fun with that this week because it really kind of settled into my heart and gave me a real spiritual application of how I mess up and how the Lord is there to help me. Remember, he loves you. And he wants to make something out of your life. He doesn't want to destroy you. He doesn't want to throw you away. He wants to say, I love you. I made you the way you are. And my job is to redeem you to be a child of the Most High. Amen. That is really good stuff. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the reality of where we are in life right now. We need these kind of people in our lives. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when the people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itchy ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. These are people that rewrite recipes and they don't end up well because they don't like what's in the ingredients of the recipes. Yeah, we need truth tellers. And if you have a truth teller come into your life that's lovingly helping you, and if you're bristling up against them, check your heart. Check what side of the fight you're in. Are you the good fight or the bad fight? Okay, another area of indicator is that we are fighting against being accountable. We don't like accountability. People fight for control, we fight against accountability because it gives me the ability to do what I want when I want not have any, and not have to account for it. That kind of tells you, are you in a good fight or the bad fight? We need to be accountable to each other in the body of Christ. That's why being together in church, the church body is so important because we can hold people accountable and we need to be held accountable. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes into detail. I'm not going to have it up here because it's too much, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks in detail how we are the body of Christ and we are all part of the body. We could be the toe, the foot, the eye, the ear. We're all part of the body of Christ. We're all connected together and how much we need each other if we're going to be an effective, healthy, efficient, working body. And if you're struggling in being a part of the body of Christ, if you're struggling with your involvement in the body of Christ, that's number one. That's an indicator right there. 
that you're in a bad fight. If you're struggling against being in the body, then you must have a reason. Why am I do, not, do I not want to be accountable? Whose side of the fight are you on? We are supposed to be part of the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. We need to be accountable to each other in the body of Christ. The good fight means that we're all about being part of the body that helps each other. When we come into the church, we need to come in. When we come in on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a small group or whenever you come in, we're, we're, we're to come in with the attitude of, what can I do to help you today? What can I do to help another person today? Not, what can I get out of it? What's the church going to give me today? What's the pastor going to speak to me about today? What's the worship leader going to give me today? No, our attitude, if we're in the good fight, the good fight says, how can I help you? What can I do for you today? When I look for ways to help and not always being helped, that's an indicator that I'm in a good fight. We aren't offended or put off when the music isn't just right or someone says something we don't like or maybe the preacher preaches a little bit past noon, which I'm going to today, just so you know. See, the need to be part of a local church body is, a, is, being, is, is being a part of the good fight. You really can't be in a good fight if you're not part of a body somewhere, somehow. You really can't do it if you're doing it alone. If you think you can be a good fighter alone, I'm telling you, that picture of the devil that I showed you a few minutes ago, he will eat you up. You cannot live this life alone. Basically, the good fight means that it's not all about me. Rather, it's how can I build up others and hold myself accountable to the body of Christ. Yeah. And I just want to say a couple things here, and I don't want to um, sound um, critical, but because this is the trend where it's going today, I, I've read an article this week that 100 churches close every week in America. A hundred churches close every week in America. What that's saying is that people are saying, I don't need church. I don't need to be part of the local body. And what some people are doing is that they're turning to TV preachers or TV evangelists or the Internet, the YouTubers. <laughs> they're turning to that for their spiritual guidance. And I'm not saying that they don't speak truth. Because I listen to James McDonald and I listen to Dr. David Jeremiah and they can speak great truth. You see, but the difference there versus the difference here is that when I'm listening to a man on the radio or on the Internet and they start speaking truth that starts getting into my knickers a little bit, I can change the dial or I can change the station or I can just turn them down. Right? But when you're sitting in a church service like this, 
And you hear a truth teller coming in to speak truth to you and that it's starting to hit home a little bit. And, and here's the thing that I found, because I will tell you, guys, I've sat in your seats more than I've been a pastor. I've only been pastoring 10 years, nine years. So I know what it's like to be sitting in your seat and have the preacher read your mail. And then when he's scanning the crowd, just because he's scanning the crowd and he happens to lock eyes, ooh, boom, it really hit me. Because there's that personal contact. I don't get that when I listen to him on the Internet. He doesn't know me. He has no idea where I'm at. But I'm telling you, there is something about that personal touch. That's why Jesus mentioned, that's why Jesus talked to people personally. That's why he was out with publicans and sinners. He was out in their world because he needed the personal touch. And so much and so often, and that's why these churches are struggling so much, and that's why they're closing, and that's why people say, I don't need to go to church because it's just what I read a little bit earlier in Timothy about people going to their, get their itchy ears itched. I can do that very easily on the Internet. I can hear what I want to hear and turn it off when I don't want to hear it anymore. But when I'm sitting in a church service like this where I'm having this personal contact that the Holy Spirit just kind of hits me, and then I'm being held accountable differently. Is that good? You see why we need each other? You see why we need church? Yeah. Then finally, for the last point of the day, this may be one of the most divisive and destructive forms of being in a bad fight. It says that when we have personal rights to do what I want to do, even if it may hurt the weaker brother, I live in the era of grace. And therefore, I can do what I want to do and be forgiven later. Bad fight. That's premeditated sin. And God, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to say what God does or God doesn't do, but I'm going to go by his word. And I believe that his word says that he does not forgive premeditated sin. In other words, if I say, okay, I am going to go ahead and do what I tempted to do, it may be pornography, it may be getting drunk, it may be drugs, it may be stealing, it may be gossiping, it may be talking bad about somebody behind their back. See, if if I'm going to go ahead and premeditate that and then do it with with the idea that God will forgive me after the fact... How, did that, how does that work with you and your kids? If you know your kid is deceiving you behind your, right, and, and they're lying right to your face, how do you deal with that? You punish them somehow, don't you? You don't let them get away with it. You see, do you think that we can get away with things from God? You don't know that, you don't think that he doesn't see our hearts? And so if I'm going to premeditate a sin and then say, okay, God, then I'm going to, I'm going to impose upon you that you have to forgive me because I said I'm sorry. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a bad fight. We're going to talk more another day about repentance and how important repentance is because repentance is so much more than saying I'm sorry. Repentance actually means it because it means I'm going to go the other direction and I'm not going to repeat the same mistake. I'm not going to use the half cup measuring cup when I need to be using the full cup. I'm repenting from my mistakes, and I'm going to make a change in my life so that I don't 
do the same sin over and over again, expecting God to forgive me over and over again because there's a point in time where God will just play your game and he say, it's done, it's over, I'm not playing with you anymore. Serious. When God stops playing with you, and he can stop playing with you because it's his right, because he's the creator, I'm the creation. I need to listen and be attentive. And when he calls me, I need to say, Father, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I'm so sorry that I've done things to bring dishonor to your name. I'm so sorry. I won't do that again, I promise. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, will you break that habit in my life? Will you break that pornography? Will you break that alcoholism? Will you break that, or whatever that habit is? And when you go to him that way with true repentance in your heart, that's the good fight because it's going to take effort on your part to break it. Stop talking the way you talk. Stop using that little language that you think you can get away with because it's field language. You, know, you guys, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about when those little words slip out. And it's easy to say it in front of your friends because it makes you feel like you're more connected to them. What you're doing when you do that is you're disconnecting yourself from God. That's the good fight. When you start lining yourself up with the good side of the fight, you will win eventually. I'm going to tell you, it's a fight, and it's going to be ugly, and it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be worth it in the end. Amen. The good fight is when I stop fighting for my own rights and I start building up the body of Christ. I have the Christian right to do that. So I'm going to, even if it's a stumbling block to my brother. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about alcohol for a minute here because that is a big one in our society today. The Bible is not clear about alcohol. I will tell you, I will be honest with you, it's not about you having a beer going to send you to hell. I'm not saying that at all. But we'll, what will send you to hell is if you cause someone to stumble. The Bible says that it's better if, if, you, were, if you were to cause a little one to stumble and fall and, and lose salvation and, and fall away. The Bible says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the bottom of the sea than to cause a little one. A little one means a, ch- a child or it could be a young Christian. If you cause them to stumble because of your actions, that's a serious act. But yet, many people say it's my right to do what I want to do because we live in an era of grace. Total misapplication of grace. I think you know what I'm talking about. I've just found, guys, that I'm so much more free. And again, I'm going to use the air of alcohol again because that's my most easiest example. It's so much easier for me just to say, no, thank you. I don't drink. Than to have a drink and then look around the room to see, did anybody see me? You see, it's so much easier for me just to say, no, thank you, I don't need it. And, and let me tell you, uh, let me give you an example. Like Paul could talk about the fight in the good fight because he fought the good fight. Let me just give you an example of how I fought the good fight, not to make me sound good. But when I was in the business world, I was working for Rockwell. I called on Ford Motor Company. They were my biggest account. And I, it was my job to entertain. 
and I entertained a lot of Ford Motor Company executives. I had, wasn't uncommon for me to spend three or $4,000 a month entertaining customers. And I would take them golfing a lot, take them to dinners a lot. And when I, early on into that, I was into the issue of the drinking stuff because, oh, believe me, they drank. They drank a lot. And so I would go out to dinner with them, and, you know, I had this dilemma. I was a Christian man. I was doing uh, devotionals in our church every Sunday. I did offering devotionals, so I was teaching. I was, had that relationship there in the church. But I was still in the community, and so I found it very easy just to come to the decision in my life to say, no, thank you, guys. I don't need to drink. And they would look at me kind of funny, like, are you an alcoholic? Are you a recovering alcoholic? They, and I didn't, and, and so I just, I just said, no, thank you. And, and here's what it did. It just freed me so much. I could now enjoy myself because I wasn't having to look over my shoulder all the time. That's the good fight. And I'm not being a stumbling block. And so what that did for me later on was that as I had relationship with these men uh, and I was consistent in my approach that way, I didn't tell them they couldn't drink. I even bought their drinks. I had to. It was part of my job. Okay? But here's what happened, though. Later on, when things weren't going so well in their life and I would come and visit with them and so forth, more than once, multiple times, guys would say, Mike, what's different about you? And you know what that was? An open door. Not to beat them up with the Bible, but to share my testimony. And when, they sh- when you share your testimony, they can't argue with your testimony. They can argue with the Bible all day long. But you share your testimony, and all of a sudden they're listening. They're attentive. They're watching. Fight the good fight. That's what it's all about. Not exercising my rights to do that because I have the right to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 let me give you some scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 9. Be careful, Paul speaking again. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Pretty powerful words that Paul speaks. And this must have been a pretty big problem in, in that time because he goes and, and he says it again in another portion of that same uh, book, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a couple chapters later, ver- beginning of verse 23 of chapter 10, Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their good, but the good of others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That is the good fight. That I'm living my life not to impress you, but to help save you. So that I can do my part in sharing the gospel of who Jesus Christ is. Like Paul, he can deny himself to help save those around him. That is the good fight. Jackie, would you come? So kind of wrapping this up for the day. 
And I'm not sure if we're going to talk about the good fight another day or not. I promise not next Sunday because next Sunday is Christmas, so I'll bring a Christmas message next Sunday, I believe. But we need to recognize the fight we're in. And I'm going to challenge you this morning. Are you fighting the good fight? Whose side are you on? Do you, first of all, realize that this is a real fight and it's going to leave some battle scars? You're going to look like you've been in a fight when you get done with this life. You're going to have some scars. Do you also know that this fight is not against flesh and blood, yet it will require a physical sacrifice and may even require some pain as it did for Paul? So far... Thank the Lord, so far in our little pocket of northern Michigan, we're not persecuted. You came here freely today, and you're going to leave freely, and nobody's going to bother you on the way home. Nobody's going to harass you. Nobody's going to come to your house and try to take your stuff because you went to church today. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? Thank the Lord for freedoms that we have. Thank Him. I mean, seriously. But if they did, would you still be here? That's the good fight. The, the promise of the reward is true. Yeah. But it may not be in the timing that we're thinking about. The promise for light burdens and easy yokes is coming. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel because you're going through some hard time. That, that, that time is coming. I promise you it's coming. But it's coming to those that will persevere in the good fight. The good fight is really against my flesh and my desires for temporal pleasures. The fight is against myself. Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to take up my cross? Fighting the good fight is not about me. It's not about you. It's about the body of Christ. Are we willing to give ourselves for the body of Christ? So where are you this morning? Would you close your eyes with me? Where are you in the fight? If there's a struggle in your life, if you're struggling with the truth teller today, if you're struggling with the word of God today, if you're struggling with being on the wrong side of the fight today, this is a time of new beginnings. This is a time when you can declare that I am going to fight the good fight. The enemy's going to tell you, stop thinking about what he's saying. The enemy's going to bring all kinds of distractions to your mind right now. Remember what he looks like. Remember what his intent is. He's out to devour you. He's out to destroy you and me. So I'm going to ask you, along with myself, if there's anything in your heart that you're battling against, if you're holding an area in your heart, you're saying, God, I'm willing to give you this much, but I have this over here that I'm reserving for me, that's the bad fight. 
So if you're willing to share the Lord, share with the Lord your desire to fight the good fight and you're willing to give it all to him, would you just lift up your hand and just say, Father, I am willing to give you all of me this morning. I'm tired of the bad fight. Yeah. I see every hand and more importantly, Jesus sees every hand. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I'm going to ask you to take one more step because this is a step of repentance. I'm going to ask those that desire this, I'm going to ask you to come to the front as Jackie sings the song, and we're going to repent, and we're going to come to the front, and we're going to prove to him that we really are willing and ready to get into the good fight in every area of our life. This does not, this does not mean that you're a sinner necessarily if you come up here this morning. That's not the point. The point is we're being honest with ourselves, and we're saying, God, there are some areas in my life that are not good, and I'm tired of covering those up. And I truly want to give you every area of my life. So this morning, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. And so if you are really ready to embrace what the Lord has, just come on up here and be part of the body of Christ and let's just worship and let's just sing and let's pray. This is my desire to Father, I just thank you for this day today. And I thank you for the seed that was given today. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord, that you're not going to let this go unnoticed or wasted. Everything that was done today was done of you today. And I thank you. And I pray for these people today. I pray, God, you'd bless them as they go to their homes today. I pray, Father, you'd bring us back tonight for candles and carols, that we would celebrate again your goodness. Lord, I just pray blessing on all of us this morning through your grace. And I ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Thanks for being here today. Amen.